0: Welcome to Design Your Life, a podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost.
1: At Frost Collective, our specialist place and environments teams work globally with architects, developers, cities, corporations, and governments, delivering successful human-centered solutions across place visioning, property branding, and strategic wayfinding and signage. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au.
0: Welcome to the seventh episode of Design Your Life Architect series, From Lego to Skyscrapers. In this series, I'll be speaking to some of the most influential architects who are shaping our cities and the way that we live. We'll go behind the facade to understand what inspires them, how they juggle business and family life, and the responsibility that comes with designing the places, cities, and destinations that we live, work, and play in. Today I catch up with Kelvin Ho, founder of the Sydney-based spatial communications practice Akin Atelier. Kelvin has revolutionized Australian retail and hospitality landscape. He's designed 18 venues for Maryville, many other brands in Sydney such as Basic and Inku, along with Saturday's flagship store in Bondi and in New York. Well, I'm really excited today because I've got Kelvin Ho uh, on the podcast. Welcome, Kelvin.
1: Thank you. It's nice <laughs> to be here
0: go straight into it Uh, we haven't seen each other for like i don't know maybe it was eight years or maybe less i don't know but you've got a studio in surrey hills right
1: yeah just up the road from here we've been there for about in that space for 12 years and in surrey hills for 10 more before that so yeah it's changed a lot
0: it's a really good spot and we were we were there too uh until about five years ago now we're in Redfern, but um got a lot of fond memories a lot of great restaurants around there too which is really really cool um, this is part of the Oz Makers series. Actually, it's not. Is it? It's actually the um, interior design and architecture series that we're doing. So I've got some really cool people on the podcast, and I'm really th- thankful for you coming on today. Uh, we've got Zaha Did's office, I think, in a, after Christmas as well, and um, a few other international uh, studios as well. So huge fan of, of your work, and I know it's always funny to probably just say that to another creative person but um, I was just looking through again your website the other day and just going oh my god you have just grown in terms of the the experiences that you've had over the last time I saw you. Um, Obviously you were incredibly good then too but uh, just the the amount of work that you're doing and the variety is just incredible. So it looks like you've been really busy.
1: Yeah I guess it's something I don't overthink. Um, I guess I started the business with just the idea of working on interesting projects with interesting clients. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that's really been the only thing that's defined the way of kind of working um, forward is really going, okay, let's just have this sort of outlook on design and, and spaces and, and experiences for people. And, and I think that just has naturally permeated through the studio and how I interact in my daily life, and I feel it sort of naturally has just gravitated us towards the right type of people that we work with, um, and so we've been really fortunate in that way to have some really great clients and partners through, through you know, over the last sort of 15, 16 years since we started mm-hmm. again, and um, yeah, so we are really busy, which is great, but I, you know, still feel really lucky, and I kind of always pinch myself and go, whoa, this is like, Sick project and <laughs> everything. I look at I go, uh, wow, how did this come about? You know, yeah. and I, 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 you know, even five years ago when we spoke, I, I would have been like, man, I'm so stoked with with the work we're doing. But I, I feel like I've never had a point where I felt like, oh, I, I guess I've always felt, you know, you, you know what it's like. You run a business; there's always the up and down. But mm. I've always felt really comfortable with the scale of the projects. You know, I, I, I entered this sort of profession with very little experience i was quite young um so i think the journey of just learning and and creating the right relationships with builders manufacturers clients you know it's it's a constant learning process which i'm always Mm. pretty excited about
0: let's just talk about how you started off because i understand is your dad a builder
1: yeah so he was an engineer he was in the navy um and post navy sort of transitioned into engineering and he sort of dragged me around construction sites and you know he used to look after these as an engineer and these boats these giant ships right mm-hmm. there's a lot lots of responsibility and then when i you know i was i wasn't born when he was in the navy but i think just there's a certain level of confidence <laughs> that you need to be able to look after a piece of equipment that big mm. and so then when he was um you know i was young and i'd follow him on construction sites and you know we'd he look after some buildings i'm like oh my god like How how do you just turn up to a site or a place and kind of feel comfortable that you're making the right decisions? Because it's quite overwhelming. You know, I I was thinking about it yesterday. Uh, Like just these huge pieces of equipment that he would just go turn a few knobs and just seemed like he was playing with like a power plant, like a nuclear. (laughs) <laughs> guy, like oh, like it's gonna, this thing's going to explode or oh, not a restaurant or so a cafe or anything I was always, you know, he's, he's probably naturally way more confident than, than I was, I am um, in his ability so I don't know, Maybe I always was kind of in awe of his uh, ability to um, feel in control feel, you know I guess he had that naval background of just being really methodical and structured mm. and being able to make decisions at a that scale, mm. um, and it's only something I've really started to feel comfortable in the last mm. couple of years. Really about my own work yeah. and being in those situations, um, but yeah, he was an engineer, and um, I was always really interested in drawing and painting and, and building things like mm. making models and boats and all those sorts of things. And I was I really wanted to get into boat building, um, but my dad said, you know, you should maybe try architecture might bring the creative and the kind of technical mm. aspects together and um yeah he really sort of uh opened my horizons as a young kid to the to, to what architecture and design is and and mm. and he did the classic thing and said you you know you're 14 i'm sure you want to hang out in your summer holidays and just sit on the beach or whatever but what you're going to do is go and work for my friend for like <laughs> two dollars an hour <laughs> or whatever yeah. Um, and I would do these summer internships and yeah, I think, uh, at the time, you don't, I guess you don't really, uh, appreciate what you take out of it, but I think being surrounded by, at a young age by, you know, he, uh, he would put me in like these small businesses where it might be been a single, a, like a, a sole practitioner or he, he threw me into the, like a design. I was also in tr- interested in de- uh, graphic design. So there, he worked with the, he um, built the powerhouse museum and they had an in-house design oh. team and so he's like okay you you go and spend time with these uh graphic designers and i would just spend holidays like mm. matching pantone colors with pencils and markers you know this is just like really methodical mm. um way of of working which as a 14 year old you never really think about but everyone be like oh what'd you do for summer and i was like you know what all <laughs> summer i spent you know drawing lines on a piece of because it we had these pens called repeatographs. you mm, remember nice. them. And my um guy I worked for and they were quite expensive, they were like eighty bucks for a pen. And it was like this is for like karate kid, ms me, me kind of vibes. So <laughs> he's like, You've broken another pen. And I'm like, okay, he so said he just sat me down and gave me like a roll of tissue paper with the point oh one repeatograph which is the finest one. It yeah. just made me draw lines on tissue paper. And so just draw lines until you can draw a line without tearing the tissue. So Mm. like I just spent like a week just practicing like my, wow, like getting the right, I guess, because it was all about holding the pen in a particular way, having the right amount of weight on a pen and just, it was just this kind of meditation on drawing a line. And I just did that days and days and days until he said, okay, now you can use the pen on a proper piece of paper. So it's cool wow. things like that as a kid where I was like, oh, yeah, you know. I don't know. I look back at it now. I was like, I wish I could get my, you know, the grads or the students yeah. that come across and say, just spend time drawing a line. and You'll learn so much from that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, most kids today will say, go rotate on it. <laughs> and I'm off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Jesus. Can you imagine? I can't imagine even Luca doing that. Yeah. So, like, that's incredible perseverance. Yeah. And, but do you, did you understand the benefit at the time or not?
1: Um, I don't think I understood it until it wasn't probably until I started architecture Mm. and I think a lot of these things and those I guess the craft you know those little subtleties you know just holding a pen how you twist a pencil when you're drawing like these little things that I think when you're surrounded by you know older people like your Mm. mentors like your tutors or your lecturers and I think, you know, like if you see a really like you now or myself, I see someone that's young and you see the little things in the way they act, mm-hmm. the little cues, and you go, oh, wow, this kid knows what they're doing. Like they're just little little mm. nuances. yeah. And I think they're the things I'd learned as a kid which gave me, I guess, probably just a better understanding of the craft of design mm. um, and communication, right, mm-hmm. or visual communications is all about – line weights and like hierarchy and all those kind of subtle visual cues that and i guess a graphic language that was sort of already encoded in my i guess vocabulary of Mm. communication Mm. which i think that just you know when i started architecture as a student just gave me a a really good platform
0: so you, you did that you went from high school to then to university or what
1: I pretty much went straight through, but I was—I graduated from high school in 1996, and the grunning joke was that every—all the taxi drivers were architects, right? Because there was no work; they're either selling encyclopedias or driving taxis. Mm-hmm. So I, although I'd always wanted, you know, to pursue a career in architecture, at that time everyone's like, "Don't do it. There's no money. There's no jobs." Wow. I went to Hong Kong to see my uncle. He's an architect, and. You know, he was the CEO of his business. He had thirteen hundred people working for him. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "So, what do you think? Should I do this architecture thing?" And he's like, "No, nah. really, it's no money. It's no lifestyle. You'd be working twenty four hours a day." I was like, "Cool, sounds good to me." So I came back to Sydney. <laughs> anyway, what I, I at the time because university you have your um, you put in your preferences, and I did put architecture quite low. And I think at the top I had physio, but I didn't get the marks to do. I did a lot of, um, there were three things that I loved doing. One was um, drawing. Um, The other thing was, so creativity, like anything. Like drawing, painting, um, making things, that was one thing. The other thing was skateboarding was a huge part of my childhood. That's what I did all day long. Skate culture, you know, videos, magazines. From the age of 13, I'd just come home and watch skate videos Mm -hmm. for hours. Go skateboarding. And that's how I explored the urban environment through a skateboard. I actually wrote a thesis about skateboarding. Wow. And then the other thing I actually really did a lot of was play rugby, rugby union. And I was weirdly quite, well, I guess I was good enough to do it because I got offered a scholarship to play rugby at university out of school. So even though I had physio and a few other degrees and I was like, I think I was going to start interior design or industrial design at UTS – um, at the last minute, the rugby club calls me up and say, hey, you know, if you come and play for us, we, you can do whatever deg- degree at Sydney. So at the last minute, and I guess this is, you know, the the universe saying something, mm-hmm. pulled me kind of back into it and said, through rugby, which was lucky, mm-hmm. through a scholarship, um, I ended up in Sydney University Architecture, which is... Wow. A, yeah, I guess... Best you know, of both worlds. Yeah, which was cool because, you know, I had like... You know, I had the opportunity to really explore sport. I got into the course that ultimately I was so happy to be in, um, even though everyone said don't do it. Mm -hmm. And I've just met the greatest bunch of people that I'm still really good friends with Mm -hmm. now, and so many mentors, like lecturers and people that I still will call and say, "Hey, can I have some advice on this?" You know. Mm -hmm. So the the that was I guess was just a really lucky. moment in my life where it kind of steered me back on course to do that so basically it was straight into architecture out of yeah out of school
0: so do you think it was just a luck that, that that happened or did you in your heart really still want to do architecture despite everybody telling you not to
1: um like I, I probably was a little bit disheartened you know when I finished school and it was like everyone said don't do architecture because it's there's no money there's no mm. lifestyle but I think that's you know I guess you could talk to anybody in any career or discipline yeah, and you'll absolutely. get people that will say that yeah and i guess any field is so diverse architecture and design like it's the history the theory the process there's so much breadth in, in in where you can go into and i think if you don't land in the right section of that you can find it very frustrating and becomes like a you know a job right whereas mm-hmm. i found myself i managed to i guess navigate through my mentors and and what my interests into a part of this world of architecture that i just i really enjoy and i love and it's not work you know mm-hmm. so i can talk about it about in a really positive way because i guess people around me helped me helped guide me and say all right there's so much architecture in this world you'll never cover it it's a, it, it will go for, it goes on forever mm. What you need to find is your pathway through it and mm. the parts that feel you you connect with and and I guess that's what I've always been about is mm. connecting to the relevant parts of architecture that I relate to mm. like for me, I like granular small scale cultural kind of really interesting things, and I think mm. that's through you know, my interest, like doing skyscrapers and kind of, you know, master. Like, there's a whole bunch of architecture out there that I'm not interested and in, I c- can't relate to. Um, and I think through, um, like I said, you know, I did my thesis on, on, on skateboarding and architecture and that gave me the roadmap to start to go, what is it in architecture that I find interesting and relevant?
0: And I guess that's why you still wear high top trainers, right? <laughs> you got some on now?
1: No, they're, they're t- oh, it's it's a bit hot today, but they are. They, I guess, they are.
0: I mean, I think that's really that's obviously really great great advice, and it's so cool that you came through that as well, despite people possibly kind of trying to put you off things, and you followed your heart and your interest, and you come out uh, much better for it. I think there it, it must have been times. I mean, anyone studying who's listening in right now or about to study, it's quite a daunting thought, isn't it, to go into a three year plus? How many years did you do?
1: Uh, well, it takes. Six years. Wow! So it's a long time. It's a long time. It's a well, massive not in the scheme of things, but yeah.
0: at that time, it probably was like, oh my god.
1: Yeah, I think when you're like eighteen, and it does seventeen. It does sound like a long time, but like I, I value that time and all the you know experiences that I had. But yeah, I'm glad I got through it.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how did you go from that, uh, from graduating, to then starting your own firm? Did you start your own firm right away, or did you work for other people?
1: Uh, That was the other thing, you know, I think if, I don't know, maybe because I'd been working with architects from a young age or what it was, but I was actually like a terrible employee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I think it was only towards the end of my degree when I actually started to find a bit of a spot within the world of architecture that I was really interested in, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't find the practice that Allowed me to explore that um, you know that that, that little world, um, but I worked with some great people. I worked for companies like for about two years out of school.
0: I was thinking your dad was right or something was <laughs> it Did he say afterwards so yeah I told you there's no jobs out there. <laughs> But well, you managed to find your way through it through uh, a few more experiences then
1: yeah so I think you know I went for, I, w- I worked for my a tutor of mine for like f- six years through my course um, and they gave me really great insights into working with a small practice and small projects and uh, and having that real connection to a client and all of the moving parts of architecture you know the builders the, all the all the little you, you know, you really get to multi-skill, but then I straight out of um, university, I was picked up by a really large company with like 200 people, massive office, and I was just in a design team, just working on design. It was really compartmentalized, and and although cool, it wasn't as like did not give me the exp- uh, the multiple con- or varied experience I really wanted. Mm. I was he, really just
0: you weren't on the road, pens again, were you? <laughs> had, had, had computers come around by then? Well, computers were
1: around, <laughs> but the thing was, because we were this in the Halo like little design team, we just do sketches and mm. pass it on to it. And I was like, yeah, that's cool, but I that's not really what I signed up for. So I didn't last very long there, and I kind of fired myself. Mm. Um, and then I went back to work for my tutor, and he sort of fired me because he's like, you know... This isn't
0: really what Your tutor <laughs> fired you. <laughs> nice, nice one.
1: But he's still a really good friend of mine. But I think I was just kind of impatient... And architecture—it's a like a lot of the projects you typically typically would work on are going to be a—you're lucky if they get built, and b they're going to work they they run for like three, four, mm. five years—they're yeah. really long—and I think I was just really more interested in going out, partying, skateboarding, doing this sort of stuff, doing what you know, and being kind of experienced and inspired by a lot of different things, um, which is why you know after know sort of two years in the field I was like okay I think and I was really self-motivated but I was a terrible employee so unless it was really something I was interested I couldn't find I couldn't I could do I would go through the motions but I was just I think I sort of realized I was like, you know well at the same time my dad actually got sick and I was like I think I need to really pull my finger out and do something with this because I had all these opportunities but I didn't um, I wasn't taking advantage of it and I was just kind of coasting because I hadn't kind of had that moment where things clicked I, everything was a bit was floating around i had you know um you know this idea of what architecture would could be but i hadn't really hadn't really put into focus you're just finding it, yourself i was, guess i guess so and i think my dad got sick and i was like okay that was maybe the catalyst to go you need to make you know make a decision do you do something and was, that, that's when i was like okay i think i need to start moving
0: so when was that
1: that would have been 2005 mm. yeah. yeah
0: so 15 years
1: 15 years
0: has that gone by fast
1: yeah incredibly fast and yeah.
0: f- and it's funny isn't it when you start because I, I was I, it sounds similar in terms of you know just starting a business quite naively you know yeah. you're very good at what you do but no one ever taught you how to run a business necessarily how did you find that in the early days I mean, and again, that naivety is also a blessing because otherwise you wouldn't have started it probably.
1: Exactly. If I knew what I knew now, like, uh, I don't know, I I still feel like I'm pretty naive. There's still things that I... (laughs) That's good. (laughs) But luckily I've got the people around me that I realized um, maybe probably in the last four or five years that I can't do everything. There's things that I'm not good at and I need Mm -hmm. to separate that from my daily life and say there's things I just can't do or I'm not very good at, and then, and there's people in the office that I totally rely on to be able to make it all happen, and that's where mm. a that, that really good team behind me is amazing. But I think in the first few years, like you just, it's it, it literally was it's 90% admin, 10% creativity, mm-hmm. and you know in the last you know 15 years, it's about refining all of the, that 90 percent. So mm. that 90%. So that 90% is maybe at 70% now or 50%. Um, but there's just so much of the so many experiences out of just learning how to run a business that mm. I just wouldn't have expected so yeah I think it's still a evolving it's, yeah you
0: know, I mean I've, I've been doing it for a little bit longer than you but it's it's still you know every day is, is an opportunity to learn Yeah, opportunity to get incredibly frustrated <laughs> mm-hmm. but I think that um, you know growing a team is, is so, so uh, fulfilling when uh, once you do it or when you yeah. do it because um, every single person that you take on is vital to the culture of your business and getting it done and and doing great things and any one person who's not right can really set you back in time I guess it's a bit of or for you too it's a bit of trial and error as well you know yeah and that's and learning how to delegate too because that's something yeah. that you don't often learn about um, at uh, a school design school etc architecture school probably
1: yeah, and I, I used to be very good at at taking a task that was maybe it's a design process or a model making something that would take me a week, where I could just focus on it and really think about it. Mm. And that was the biggest shift: going, "Whoa, now I'm running a business. I can't do that anymore." Or, well, I want to do that, but then I still have like 15 other annoying yeah. things I have to do. Yeah. Um,
0: and you enjoyed those t- those other tasks, the making it making yeah. something for a week.
1: That's right. Like my favorite thing in my in the office now is like binding presentations because I love
2: like, <laughs> <laughs> because,
1: and everyone jokes about it like that's all I've been relegated to they, because again it goes back to like that thing where you know it's about getting the you know doing the saddle stitch stapling and like the folding yeah. and cutting I was like I really love that
0: mm. I understand <laughs> what you mean I, 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 yeah. I remember when I was at Pentagon in the old days I used to put together the presentations and they'd be absolutely immaculate and anyone come along just, like, whack a staple on something. I go, oh, my God, it's not even straight. Um, it's interesting that, isn't it, that, that the, that, um, was it pride or just care and attention There's something? Obviously, that goes right through your, your whole work, right? Yeah. So I everything's important. Every way you present, everything you present and do is important part of the your brand, your culture, and you as a person, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's definitely things that I... Or finding the things that you feel are important about your brand and what what are the details you need to make sure are always right um be it, you know your palette or your the stapling or whatever it is you know there's some things I'm really particular about, some things I'm like, yeah, that's cool that's you know I, I don't nothing not everything needs to be perfect, it's just there's mm. some particular things mm. and that's and and we yeah, like a little thing about our work is like on. On mass, it's quite a interesting hypercolored kind of presentation of all these different types of projects. Mm. You know, and, and the actual outcomes when you lay them all out, it's like, whoa, you know, they're all quite different. You have some projects that are really laid and and have big bandwidth in materiality, you have some really singular that are much more kind of refined. You know, so there's a lot it's, uh, I guess our work is quite eclectic. Um, And I've just only recently, that for me, that used to be something that really bugged me. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, we don't have a really clear kind of visual kind of like there's some like John Paulson for example, like, you know, you look at his work and it's like just, it's so singular as a body of work. Mm -hmm. And it's only in the last couple of years where I realized, you know, part of me is like my head's going in 10 different directions at a time. And that's why our work is like that. And it actually was a massive moment where I was like, let's just let's embrace that and it's not a bad thing yeah it's not a bad thing because some people would say it as a bad thing right yeah i think i think so and yeah it's not right or wrong but i i think it's only recently that i've I've reconciled that and said i'm at peace with the fact that our process for every project can be a little bit different and the outcomes can be a bit different but it's about finding the right pathway for that client Mm. or for that project Mm. yeah i
0: I said similar things I, I, I when I started out, I was very hands-on and did every single project from the beginning to end. you know you do the get the project in the first place, win the work, design it, artwork it, create it, and then invoice it, all that whole process and um, you know I noticed over time, I mean being hands, so hands-on in every single project it was up to me to maintain that standard, have the ideas and also control the consistency of it, the quality of it. And I had a bit of a rough patch in the beginning delegating to others because go, you got so busy that you need someone to help you and then you couldn't, you didn't know how to de- necessarily delegate to that person and that person might go off on another tangent that wasn't how you would do it and at first you kind of go, oh, my God, that's not good or it's different. Um, over time, it's kind of cool to see that I had a similar kind of experience where look around, look around and go, wow, all these different people here working on a whole array of projects right across society the different flavors and different expressions are amazing. as long as it's good, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Uh, and um, I love that. I just love that diversity. and it's almost like the more things you've got on at once, and I know some people out there are struggling right now because of you know COVID's really affected a lot of organizations, but we're still lucky enough to have a whole array of projects going on that actually kind of influence each other as well, uh, yeah. in, in just the energy around them and them being done at the same time and all that. It's really cool.
1: Yeah, and do you find, um, like, in terms of your, your way of running um, a studio, because yeah, you can have the, 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 you know, one way is, like, you're, you're the, the oracle and everything goes past you and everything has to be a, everyth- you know, um, who was it, James Purse, right? The way he runs is, you know, everything is so particular mm. and everything is, like, like to the every little detail, so everyone in the office becomes a kind of a clone of what his world is, Yeah. right? Which is cool, you know. Like that kind of the idea of the the, the creative director or the yeah. head is like becomes the master, or um, like as you're saying, you know, you know, do you, is the philosophy, and maybe it's a shift in like what what um, you know what people are wanting, or you know, the people, you know, young people coming out like mm. the different expectation of mm. what, what their job should be and you know is it just about as a studio director to kind of set the tone and the expectations but giving them the bandwidth to be able to yeah understand the principles but it doesn't have to be executed in the exact way that I would have done it because maybe they can take that and make it better or yeah yeah
0: i mean it's it's uh yeah i'm i'm definitely not across all the projects anymore and and can, uh, my job is to actually create an environment for other people to to thrive. Mm. Um, and so we created, we kept redesigning our business continuously, try to make it better because we kept screwing up all the time. You know, you get busy and something would go wrong. You know, you do one bit really good and then another bit would be not good. Um, and then so over time, just kept kind of tweaking, redesign the business to get the point where uh, you got a business of small teams, relatively small teams that are actually pretty self-sufficient. Mm. Um, and they doing exactly that, they're thriving. Uh, they're 100%, 100%, 100% responsible for what they do. And that's another thing, is around trusting others to do well and also give them the responsibility. And there's times in the beginning where you kind of you know, sl- slightly cautious about how much responsibility to give them because they could screw up, yeah. you know. <laughs> and sometimes they would, but that's all part of learning. the same with you, with you and your rotary pen on the tissue paper. You know, it's like it's everyone has to go through that experience of knowing, you know, when they've done something not right or what yeah. is right.
1: And when did you find reverse this, this well, interview? I haven't haven't we? Well, no, because <laughs> this is more of a learning thing. Because <laughs> I look at your work and I remember when I started. I had yeah, that that book that really that the big you know that you published of your own work. And it was like this. album. Oh, the it? orange one. Yeah, like it was a really thick. Mm-hmm. Book. I couldn't. But the, in the studio, we're like, oh, we go to Ariel and go, this book is so cool. and you know, Aww. So, I, like, your work has always been a big inspiration in a way because it's, you know, kind of quite en- enigmatic in a way. And it's like, well, it's like this aura behind everything. Anyway, I guess my point was, I think, was my question. I, and this is for me because I, you know, I'm always curious about how people learn to build their practices. But the big thing for me was like, and as you said, you go from doing everything yourself and knowing every minute detail of a project to a point where now and I'm the same where I don't know every single detail and a client will go oh what about this And I'm like oh then I'm looking around and, <laughs> you know and I'm, I'm still that or are
0: I, you still feeling a fraud
1: <laughs> yeah I'm like oh then I have to look at the the you know the design team I'm like oh okay what 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 yeah. is that you know detail there and 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 I haven't quite got to that point where I've been able to fully disconnect from that I know, I think it's, it's a guilt of feeling like I should mm-hmm. know everything about a project because I'm used to being in that space where I feel. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I guess my question was like, when did you start to feel like comfortable to go, all right, that's cool, that's part of the, you know, like you say, it's about creating an environment here, but you don't have to feel like you need to know every detail.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually, because I remember in the early days when I was starting to kind of transition <laughs> um, by being so busy on on, on projects that I actually... You know, I would be stepping in and out of kind of key meetings, but I, I wasn't in all of the reviews. And, and of course, there would be times when a client would go, they would think that I'm their guy and I'm 100% on the whole project and I'm doing everything. And I'm in the background, you know, the team's doing it, and I'm checking in with them occasionally. But there's, they got to the point where, you know, this is actually – and the team kept positioning that I was 100% across everything. Uh, when I wasn't, <laughs> and that went from 100% to you know maybe 20% in the end. And I think it was that conscious decision to go, you know what, actually from now on, I'm just gonna say, look, this is my team. This is my team, this person here does this, that does that, that person does that. Um, you'll see me in the beginning for the initial meetings, you'll see me in for reviews, but um, these, this, these are my star guys and these are the guys that are gonna make this happen. Um, so I think when I started to do that, and the team started to do it too, um, it it changed. We actually grew from that um, because there's only so much one person. If, if people think that one guy or girl is doing this, um, probably pretty much, probably <laughs> pretty close to that. Uh, even though you've got a whole bunch of people around you, you're probably really, really busy um, doing a lot more than what you probably need to be doing. But I, I love the fact that I'm, we're sitting here now and my guys are busy working on stuff and your guys are busy working on stuff. <laughs> or hopefully, <laughs> or they've all gone down the beach, um, but it's 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 something. I go back to that point of going. It's really cool to create a, an environment for on the back of your reputation, on the back of the momentum that you've created through your life, that the other people have kind of joined onto that, shared values, and and shared and in, and increased the momentum with it, which is really cool. Let's talk about um, all the great projects you're doing with with Maryville, for example, with Justin Hems. I mean. Was that some of your earlier kind of uh, hospitality projects? Yeah. I think you've done we've, loads for him
1: now, haven't you? Yeah, I think we've done about 18, 19 projects together now, which wow. is it's a fantastic relationship that we have in terms of the way we work. And we yeah, had probably done maybe two or three, maybe two projects prior um, hospitality projects. They were, they were small, really small projects, but um, projects that are kind of still around now so justin had seen some of our work um this is pretty funny actually now now that i know him because i was like i got a call from his pa and he's like oh she was like yeah you know oh no i didn't take the call someone to the office took it and said got back there was a message from justin's pa saying you know can we meet up
0: you don't answer the phone
1: <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, they you. get you're delegating. All right. Yeah. So yeah. I got a, got a message saying oh, yeah. Justin's um, wants to meet up. I had never met the guy. I'd never been to one who really. I uh, used to go to his venues, but I had no money. So like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this was kind of early on in the business. Probably like anyway, it was kind of we were just we we're doing some cool retail projects at the time, and that was main, the bulk of bulk of the work um, that I was doing and got to come back to the office, and there's a message. It's like, oh, Justin Hems saw one of your projects, and he wants to meet up. So I kept calling, kept calling, kept calling, and I was like, does this cat want to meet up or and nothing? Anyway, then I was like, yeah, I just blacklisted him. Mm. <laughs> I didn't really, but, yeah. you know, I was like, oh, anyway. I guess, you know, now that I know him, I kind of see what he's like, and he's like, um you know, he's just so just across everything. Just sees things going on, and he's like amazing. Just eye for seeing moments or details or anything. Might be something in a in a movie or in a magazine, or I don't know. It could be anything. Like the inspiration that he pulls. So mm. he's obviously gone to a uh, a place I had designed, which was a little store. I think at the time it was a little shop in the Strand. And he must have thought, oh, it's kind of cool, and then reached out. But he's so busy that he just probably just moved on. Mm. And then a couple of years later. Um, oh, God. So you didn't actually connect then? No, no, that's a, that was how, a funny how thing. How annoying. <laughs> yeah, that's I was like. <laughs> Someone else got the job. <laughs> yeah, so I think, um, like, he, yeah, and, and then after, like, a couple of years later, totally unrelated to that initial f- reach out, um, um, a friend of mine who was actually doing some styling work connected us and we, yeah, we did our first project together, which was one of his first projects post um, Ivy. I think mm. it was a big deal at the time, but mm. it was a. This would have been about, oh, I could say, eleven years ago, but yeah, it was just it was a bit of a GFC at the time, so there was a very different outlook in in his kind of, um, oh, in in, in a global way in, in in Sydney in terms of, uh, you know, spending money. Mm. So, Ivy being this sort of amazing kind of like super designed kind of moment i think i was p- kind of pulled in to go all right how can we look about look at hospitality design in a, mm. in a different way so yeah we now so since then we've done like a lot of projects together
0: yeah amazing and what was the first one you did with them
1: so the first one was um it was miss g's in Potts point oh yeah and that was a super fun project because he was just like he's dan hong who was up and coming as a chef and we had a similar kind of language language it was like hip-hop sneakers having fun so it was like it was just riffing off what you know if it was his venue what it would be like and it was also the time when people were conscious about spending money going out but they still wanted to go out but feel good about going out so Mm. we're like let's just mess with it and turn it inside out and just have and and it's funny to think about it now but it was like we're doing stuff where it's like plywood and graffiti and all this stuff that we've seen sound so naff now but everyone was like, well, this is really cool. Like we're literally getting shipping like milk crates and I was just pulling things out of the uh, cardboard recycling, like the compacted cardboard from the just recycling boxes and using that as seats. And everyone's like, well, it's, you know, it was kind of fun, right? Mm-hmm. Um And that was obviously a massive juxtaposition to the Ivy and I think that was a moment where I was like, oh, you know, Mary Val's got – bandwidth to do something Mm. kind of high-end and do something kind of just like more kind of street and a bit more lo-fi um so that was yeah that was the first one and i think we had a lot of fun on that project and i and 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 that was kind of the platform for me really to really um understand you know what is you know his process and um or justin's process and Mm. and and
0: i guess it was cool that he saw the vision his vision and saw you know you were the perfect guy to pair with the chef in that you know that particular um, restaurant.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think that was probably, yeah. That's one of the great things about Justin as a as a uh, creator of these moments. Like he kind of can put the sees like way from way down the track. He can see the whole venue before it's been built. He can mm-hmm. kind of understand what it's going to feel like. The music, the service, the and then almost reverse engineers it from there and says, okay, well I need, you know, these people to to help bring it together.
0: And just having that, uh I mean if you say you've done eighteen venues with him over the years, that must be an incredible relationship now. Uh each time you just do you just gain more and more confidence in in uh, delivering on those projects?
1: Yeah. Um I mean what's really nice about it, there's a whole bunch of embedded knowledge um really specific to that, mm. those projects. Mm-hmm and learnings we take from previous things, the things that have worked, things that haven't worked. Um, and, you know, it's a funny thing. We always say, we'll say, let's try this. And we go, yeah, well, let's keep, you know, with any design thing, you know, you can't do everything on one project. So you're always mm-hmm. storing some ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, we've had the opportunity to work on a whole bunch of venues that are f- super spontaneous and, and I guess, playful You know, places like, Miss G's Kooji Pavilion, places that have really helped shape mm. um, suburbs and the way people interact, and Absolutely. and then also up to places that are um, like up in Newport. There's a restaurant we did called Berts, which is like a huge amount of work, and it was like you know some some projects we're literally designing on the fly, and there are some other projects where we spend years designing, you know, and fine tuning and sampling. It's that's also nice because that that also i guess the the variation in the process keeps it interesting for us as a design team to go right we're never really relying on the same way of mm. production you know it's like sometimes we're just hand drawing and just making things up and going to bunnings and then other projects where you know fine craft fine fine tuning details and importing materials from mm. overseas and you know it's a it's it's a really nice
0: i'm hopefully going to go to bert's on sunday with my family i mean it's just Everyone's raving about it. Yeah. Um, I saw some pictures of the the bar with this. It looked like a marble curtain underneath. Is that marble? Is it plaster. Or what well, is it's, it? It's called. That's beautiful.
1: Yeah. Um, it basi- it's basically it's it's a, a had this idea of creating a bar because it's round, but almost feeling like a like a ribbon or like a curtain, mm. but without being as singular as. Or curtains is almost curving in one direction, where we want to almost like splice two geometries together and. Mm had this idea love it but um we went through a whole bunch of different processes to try to get to that point um yeah it's yeah one of the things where like that project that was the one thing where we just had no idea how to kind of execute it um but yeah it's basically like a, a a render which is finely ground pieces of stone um with an oxide that kind of just gets kind of Bladed and and pushed into the curves,
0: and is it polished as well?
1: And polished, yeah. yeah. So
0: you didn't know how to do it, but how did he work out how to do it? I mean, most people would give up.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. um, or did you? Did he get that from Bunnings? <laughs> <laughs> totally.
1: Yeah, it's in I'll, I'll
2: yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: But I mean, isn't it interesting? Just the. I mean, that must make you feel amazing to walk into those spaces and and places and 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 see how. How good you make everybody feel, the pleasure that those places give is incredible.
1: Yeah, that, that that's a probably the nice thing about. I think that that's that. Was and the food's of, good as well. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the perks of the <laughs> doing the <laughs> projects is the tastings and yeah, getting to trial the you know, everything on the menu. But it is yeah, that's probably the thing that I've just loved about doing you know retail or hospitality work. Like they're, they're public spaces, they're spaces where you are kind of curating. A level of the experience, Um, and it is surreal to go there and go, "Whoa, you know, it's so nice that people are really appreciating these venues and you're creating spaces that cultivate like a particular outcome in terms of, you know, like the outcome that you want to say, someone like Koji or Ms. G's versus a Burt's or, you know, there's that's I think that's a really nice um, and a lot of unknown things as well that come out of that. But uh, uh, having having the opportunity to be able to you know, make someone's day more mm. enjoyable and big thrill.
0: I guess it goes down, to, I presume you get into the, in the yeah. early days of the project, you get to know the staff or the chefs or how that place is going to be run. Because I mean, yeah. obviously they they run impeccably uh, as yeah. well. They look amazing, they run amazingly, amazing hospitality and incredible food. Um, do you get to know with each project how, what, what kind of, I guess, the kind of key needs were? Yeah. the human centered design aspect of it well, for, I guess for the customers and for the staff too right
1: again that's um, you know for something like Bert's like uh, the chef who we had worked with before on other our projects and this was his moment to be able to like curate the food and the menu in a, in a, in a way that he hadn't done before mm. and um, yeah this was his canvas in a way so a lot of the initial dis- dis- discussions were with him and just talking about the types of produce and the and and how he sees things being you know he was he had a really romantic way of talking about food and almost and then articulating the experience as a a customer and the relationship that he would have as a chef sitting standing in the kitchen and being able to walk out and and having a visual connection between the, the guest and the kitchen and seeing everything being prepared and he would even just talk about you know he hadn't really fully conceptualize a menu, but he would just talk about it in a way that was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Mm. And and off the back of that, we were able to, I guess, conceptualize a a palette or material board or a space that that really amplified and Mm. and, and strengthened that that dialogue that he was trying to create. Mm.
0: Is his name Bert?
1: (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it's not. No.
0: Just in case he moves on. Yeah. Um, same with Fred's. You did Fred's too, didn't
1: you? No, I actually didn't do Fred's Oh, okay, no, but that's Sorry. okay. My, my really good friends of mine, um, Vince and Caroline, did. They did that, and that's the other nice thing. Mm. I don't feel like I need to do every single project. Um, the Paddington you did, yeah, did the Paddington, yeah, yeah. So they were being built simultaneously, and um, yeah, I think it's nice for a brand like Maryvale to have different handwriting mm-hmm. yeah, across the projects, and it just gives the diversity, and um, it's probably. Would be quite boring if you know. I you know we did every single project. Mm-hmm. so it's I, l- I love the Centennial.
0: Yeah, Um I know you didn't. You didn't do that one, did no. you? No, okay. that was. I um, love it less. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great spot though. I just love the leather couch and just sitting there. It just yeah. it just feels so. Oh, yeah, it calm. is nice.
1: The back room. It's just the the, yeah. the the light coming in is it's really pretty.
0: I think over time. I mean, really, the last ten, fifteen years, Australia, Mel- Melbourne has been there. Obviously, much earlier than Sydney. I think. In terms of the kind of the variety and the standards of restaurants, um, Sydney is really caught up big time, mm. I think. I mean, uh, the majority of the are there are Maryville restaurants now, <laughs> but they're not all the same. They're all incredibly um, diverse. So I really enjoy that. I guess what, with, with, with you working in kind of retail space as well on projects like you did for APC or Saturdays, mm. uh, I guess that they're, they're, they're smaller, but still strong brands. Smaller space is probably quicker time in terms of turnaround of the fit out and everything and the cost associated with it compared to a kind of fully high-end luxury restaurant. But I guess they're, they're both the experiences feed each other.
1: Yeah, and that's I think that's where like the, the origins of my re- like I, I As a kid, I was always interested in retail. Like, why would I become really obsessive about a particular brand or going to a particular shop and I, it was just part of like my I guess my childhood and mm. and still now like I'm still fascinated by it um and I think that's what sort of drew me to doing retail especially in my, uh, the early parts of my career where it's, it's really about building a portfolio it's really about making mistakes and and getting those learnings and and retail being quite creatively um you know you've got a lot of bandwidth there to play with you know designs because that's what is required um and so yeah i guess creatively you can really push yourself and then there's a fast turnaround so it is a way to really establish my career by producing a portfolio a reasonable portfolio in a kind of a short amount of time Mm. um and from there kind of was a launch pad into hotels and hospitality Mm. But yeah, that's... Uh, you're going to
0: end up doing the skyscraper you said in the beginning you didn't oh no. like doing. Uh, that would just Isn't count. that the natural progression? <laughs> because you've gone from doing you know relatively small uh, pop-up stores and things like that to now major restaurants. And you're d- are you designing the new Soho house? No. I thought I saw that somewhere. Really? I, I m- made that up. Made that up. I, um, you
1: know, yeah. Maybe or Bali? Aunt. Who knows? Who knows what they're doing in the office? We're just hanging, hanging. Oh. Out. Yeah. they're back there designing skyscrapers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what projects. they're doing. Oh my god! They're yeah, just delegated everything. <laughs> yeah, just keep working. Just keep working. Um,
0: yeah, no, that's that's cool. Um, um, yeah, what what was it like working in um, with was Saturdays in Bondi? That was cool because that was everyone was so excited that they came to Australia. Yeah, for a start, but to, for you to be designing that one right and like, iconic that, where it should be, because obviously. Yeah, Their first shop was in New York, which is, it felt strange. I remember seeing that years ago. Yeah. But there is, there is obviously surf not far from New York.
1: Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel, again, it's one of those bizarre things where I remember when Saturdays came on, on into the into the world of um, fashion, it was like a really cool concept, mm. like, you know, a surf brand that's born out of New York City mm. um, and a, a totally different way of looking at, at that subculture. Um, and... You know, magically, a couple of years later, it, it it's a project that is on our desk, and out there, the moments are like, "Whoa!" You know, it's mm. crazy that you know someone out of New York that I've never met, um, and how the world just can become so small. It's weird, isn't it? Instead of be working on, yeah, it was, it was, it, and they're really nice dudes, and and they called like, you back. You called them back, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was nice to be able to do that. And I think, I guess, they wanted to work with a local architect to really interpret their brand with a kind of an Australian Australian lens. And, yeah, you know, I live in Bondi, so and I know that street. And, yeah, that, that was a cool project to be able to be part of. Um, and, you know, that ultimately, what's been really nice in last year when we did we did their Soho store. So mm. it's kind in of... In New York. In, in, in New York. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I, you know, to be able to have... You know, it felt really special. A to do one in Australia, but then to be asked to do the New York one, which was Ground Zero for them, like the mm. big, the first store that held a lot of memories, where they literally grew the brand out of there. Um, yeah, it, that that was a pretty pretty cool moment.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Were they were they graphic designers? The guys that started that? Uh, or I'm thinking Acme. Maybe Acme. It was.
1: Yeah. So actually, one of the guys actually used to work at Acme. But um Acne, sorry, no. Acne. Yeah, they 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 all. Come from sort of different backgrounds. One was more like business. One more sales. One was more in a kind of creative role. Um, But they all met each other when they were, you know, partying and, Mm.
0: yeah. And it's incredible those brands that kind of seem to come out of nowhere, yeah, and really shake up the industry in 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 their moment. Now they've become part of the establishment. Do you have to like love a brand to to work on it?
1: I tell myself that. Uh, I a lot of the early work. I think now it definitely does help. Like, I think if I can love a brand or feel a, a connection with that brand or understand the, the ethos and the philosophy, mm-hmm. either in their you know aesthetic or just the you know, it, I think there needs to be connection there. And again, it probably comes back to me being incredibly self-motivated in the right moments. Um, like if a project comes along and it's like we've had examples of projects come up or potential projects with great budgets and mm. and it it may have been just like a I I just don't get it or or maybe ethically I haven't felt connected to to what they're about um, and I guess we've had the luxury of being able to say sorry I just don't think we're we're right for this project mm. whereas early on I was just doing anything just to yeah. pay bills but. You know, and I often tell my team, we're so lucky to be here because the guys that started working here 15 years ago, and we were designing like random hairdressers and random like hokey little shops that we just totally killed ourselves for, <laughs> that were, like the worst projects ever. But yeah, you know, if it wasn't for those projects where we made mistakes and learnt a lot, and yeah, it's given us you know the the the, the, the opportunity to, mm. to be where we are now. Mm. There's
0: another shop, or is it a restaurant, uh, in New York called Little Ways. Yeah. Yep. And Jumbo Cord. You want to talk about Jumbo Cord?
1: Jumbo Cord? like yeah. a, I just love Jumbo Cord. Like a corduroy? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's like fat,
0: isn't it? Fat yep. cord. Yeah. Something about it, I just love it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Sicko. <laughs> but um,
0: is it making a comeback, Jumbo Cord? Oh, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, who doesn't love Jumbo Cord? <laughs> but, Like, I'd say, um, you know, you got to know your strengths. And picking fabrics is not one of mine. (laughs) (laughs) But that was something that I did pick. Uh, We just, you know, that was a super fun project. And we just went to this, like, random, like, little fabric store in Chinatown. And and I was like, this is sick. This is Mm. really cool fabric. Um, Let's put it everywhere. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it works incredibly well. Um, I was just thinking, was, does doing these... projects in New York does that has that created more um, obviously COVID's happened and probably has slowed things down a bit and you're lucky to not be there but are you do you have getting more opportunities overseas?
1: Um, yeah I mean last year was a great year for international work uh, through Asia through America obviously COVID had a massive shift and it's only now we're what November some of that Stuff is coming back on the radar. Mm -hmm. I think all the brands and companies had a chance to recalibrate and kind of, you know, the dust has settled and they're starting to reach out again. In terms of specifically New York, I mean, that was maybe not great timing because the 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 guys behind Little Ways have, you know, they're as a as a they've got a couple of other venues and they're they're real institutions in the in in kind of downtown scene, which was really cool to be part of that um, Mm. process with them and you know they're really pioneering like a you know and cultivating really great experiences so hopefully you know off the back of that that you know once post or you know wherever we are now with COVID Mm. and people start going out and and we're almost going to relaunch that venue again because Mm. the launch literally happened and then two weeks later everything was shut down so it's going to be a bit of a you know bit of a relaunch just to get it back on you know back on track. Well we've I
0: guess the the this must have affected you big time. I mean we're we've been fairly in Australia we've been pretty uh got off lightly regarding mm-hmm. covid. Um but nonetheless we've had major shutdowns haven't we especially in the food sector uh, and retail. Has that affected you as well?
1: Yeah, I mean I think in March or early April in the first week 10 15 jobs just flatlined and mm. went on hold and were like, oh man, you know, what are we going to do? Yeah. I mean, we're lucky that, you know, we've got quite a diverse sort of portfolio and all, um, and I knew, like we we work with um, only a handful of clients. So we don't have a big team. There's only six to 15 people in the, in the office. Mm-hmm. So we can't take on every single client. And there's some clients that may be too big for us in terms of their structure, you know, Although, although we're learning to work on with more corporate kind of bigger clients and and like Qantas, we did some work with them. Mm. We're doing stuff with the uh, Art Gallery Art Gallery of New South Wales now, so we're learning, you know, to get up to that kind of big boy scale of mm. kind of projects of cool. clients. Um, but the, the the sweet spot is probably the more boutique kind of end. But you know, a lot of those brands like the Merivale's the Basics, they're like, I know we've worked here for the ten years, but just putting everything on hold and i was like oh, yeah man, that, that that's gonna hurt but we were really lucky that some of those same clients are like oh well, you know we're, we're quiet but you know maybe work on my house or work on some other projects and mm. and we were able to kind of keep our you know head above water um, made a few tiny little changes but nothing is drastic i've got some friends that have agencies and they just focus on one particular mm. um type of um, design or types of projects and 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 the guys that I know that were, they just, all they did was hospitality and, and within two weeks their businesses were like, you know, we've got no projects.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Yeah. And I mean, other countries, obviously the UK and Europe are really struggling mm. uh, big time now. I mean, just hoping that we, we get other, the other countries obviously get back into some kind of normal situation, mm. but it's challenging times big time and, um. Uh, as I said before, our hearts go out to everybody who's who's struggling right now. Um, but just be try to maintain that optimism and, you know, focus on you know, redesigning things, redesign yourself, just try to try to find different ways through it. Yeah. Um and and um it's been interesting also to have the focus on people's homes. I think it's during this people have kind of really refocused on uh their home, their space. Probably like never before. It has new meaning, new value. Um, just by being forced to be in that in your home for that period of time, it's kind of strange, isn't it? How we, and not everybody, of course, but a, a, a large number of people, have spent the most of their time at work, mm. and their home is just a place to sleep, um, and not a place of to be comfort, uh, comfortable, and uh, to enjoy and to slow down. Whereas you, you design wonderful homes too.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I mean, I, that's. As I that was a segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think as I get older and I kind of I love the fast pace of hospitality and retail. Um, and, and it's really dynamic, but there's something that I'm going back to that idea of about just drawing lines and really about just thinking about you know those more intimate kind of moments that you do get in a in a residential kind of bespoke project. Um, so, yeah, increasing, I guess, COVID was a bit of uh, a catalyst for shifting what was maybe 10, 20% of our portfolio to now it's probably over 50% right mm. now of active projects that are in the residential space. Mm. And then again, that's nice for my team. Like, I've got some of my team that have been with me for 12 years, you know, like really long standing team members. Um, and for them to go through a journey of working in a lot of commercial projects and then now to have a bit of a change in their their kind of uh, project types and be able to just get that diversity. Um, it's been a really nice kind of shift. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's been a really interesting um, and natural – and also in the last two years where I, we, what we used to do, we used to run like 70, 80 projects at a time mm. and we were building – opening new projects every week and it just became this treadmill of like, oh, my God, this is like so tiring. Mm. Um, but now – so in the last, like maybe two years ago, I said I really need to shift the momentum of the office. Otherwise, everyone's going to get burnt out, mm. and I need to balance some of those projects and still do the, the the quick, fast ones, but make sure we're more selective about what they are mm-hmm. and balance it with some more kind of long term, um, slower pace projects, just to give some some breathing space. Mm. So that was a real big thing for me in the last couple of years to, to shift the direction of the studio, and you know, through COVID has been a, a has almost accelerated that. Mm. Um, but I, I, I'm really enjoying that that change of pace. Mm. Uh,
0: when we last spoke ages ago, you were talking about finding a general manager. Did you find someone in the end?
1: Yeah, yeah, I did. I found, you know, f- we've been through a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, 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 don't know. We've got some great people in the office now. Mm, um, that's good. And I think it's about finding. For me, it was it's it, it's really about finding the right person to that was the right balance for me. Mm-hmm. And I like to think that I'm fairly easygoing, and I am easygoing, but I'm probably quite frustrating to work with because I can oscillate in in my um pattern like i feel i'm always pretty constant with my outlook but i think the way i work is sometimes i
0: hear you're a nightmare
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's a segue right well, no <laughs> no it's not uh,
0: but but i think that uh, you, you could ask my son you could ask anyone who works with me that be say same thing you know normally it's pretty calm and all of a sudden you just lose it or um yeah. you know i mean i'm definitely on the spectrum and uh you think it's normal. You think your your world is normal, <laughs> but others looking in yeah. probably go, mm, yeah, questionable. Yeah, um,
1: I think for me it's like stuff that um, I'm probably unpredictable in terms of what I may focus on on in a project. Mm. You know, so sometimes I'm like, yeah, do whatever, whatever you think, right? And if, mm. and then the next project with the same thing, I'm like, okay, we really need to look at like a hundred different options for mm. this. And, you know, and I think that might be frustrating as a you know if you're supporting on a, or work on a project with me to go oh man he's so like hard to read yeah um and i think that's probably just me over the experience of doing so many projects you start to understand what are the moments that you really need to care about mm. and p- pay good. more particular attention to and i think that's just an experience thing it's not me just you know trying to be difficult no. or um Try to reinvent the wheel all the time, but it's about going. Okay, I think you, um, over time, start to be able to read the landscape really quickly and go. These are the things that we need to do to make sure this project is the right. You know, has the right outcome.
0: Yeah, I used to find that similar similar situation that because I, I would ha- I would be having maybe conversations with the client like way up front before it even became in as a project. I was already getting kind of insights and clues and already beginning to think about what possible solutions or scenarios could be. But when then it came into the studio as a project, we finally agreed the fees and timings and everything. I'd already, at some times, you've already kind of got the idea solved, even though you got to go through the whole process. Mm. Or you, there's other times you go, you know what, I still haven't, um, I have no idea about this one. <laughs> this is too hard. You guys can have this one. And they're kind of left high and dry going, well, hang on a minute. He's going to jump in any second now. <laughs> And then when you don't uh, or you do, it's just so, that's unpredictable.
1: But Yeah. Like I've had situations where, you know, we've been working on a project for, you know, a month and they're working on it and I've just haven't felt right. I mm. felt like, a, and, and it's literally the night before the presentation and then I've gone, I got it, right? Mm. And then I'm like, we're going to need to do that whole month's worth of work in four hours before the client comes in. Yeah, And, you know, what was it? What's going to be like a, you know, 30-page presentation is now like two, two pages. But, and everyone's looking at me, I'm going to strangle you, Kelvin. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, trust me on this one. I feel, and then, you know, there's two pages. Do you have to beg? <laughs> I'm like, please <laughs> uh, uh, and, and I think, again, that's the moments where you go, I'm sitting in this meeting and, I, uh, and those two pages so important, and they feel so much more. It just mm. feels so much more right, mm. and it's something you can't really explain to your team when they've been working on something for that long. Oh, it's so destroying, you go, isn't you it? You go, but trust me, like, and and I think that's that learn. And that, and some people take that the wrong way, but I think my team's worked out that you know, if I'll come in on a really come in on it on that tangent mm. and, and change direction, um, and see my change in attitude and change in energy mm-hmm. they go yeah we understand why he's done that um
0: I, I totally get it and i think it's um you know that's kind of creative genius kicking in isn't it it's just like and time t- just yeah. time to live with it to see other things that aren't working and then to see you know yeah. you have that eureka moment or whatever and that strong feeling yeah. you can't beat that because you can't constantly looking for that yeah the only danger with it, it and that's good because you, you're you ensuring that the project is a success and it's where you should be positioning it the only problem is over time, is like if you keep doing that every project, the client, uh, that your team keep thinking he's going to come in, no matter what we do, he's going to kick in the night before the presentation. Yeah. Um. He says he's just going to staple it together, but he's going <laughs> to redesign everything. <laughs> um. Yeah. I guess it's kind of communicating. That's hard. It's a hard thing because if if you haven't got it right, or your team hasn't got it right, you're 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 in on the verge of letting something good not happen. Yeah. Or you're on the verge of letting people down, or on the verge of, of uh, of not getting it through. And that there's something inside of us, isn't it, that just keeps us determined to find the ultimate solution at that moment in time.
1: Yeah, I think it's like a yeah, like a almost amnesia to the pain of it because you're never going to do that again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> and then you go, all right, what do we let's do it again? <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I, I, that's uh, maybe that's just a part of. Again, that experience of going, you know, it's just about creating ideas and, you know, and, and moving on and, and it's just constant um, mm. cycle um, and rather than just being so bogged down on like one outcome. Yeah.
0: I think it's like, and, and anybody, a musician, any kind of form of creativity, it would have that. if It, it doesn't just flow and it's not just easy and just doesn't come in like a, in the time that we dedicate to it. It comes in the shower as a cliche, but all the moments at the last minute when something clicks and something c- comes into play or, or reveals itself, that gives you the clue or the momentum and excitement around. This is this is it. This is yeah. the thing to do. Yeah, such an amazing feeling, isn't it? It's part partially relief. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it feels like an orgasm at times. Um, and it feels like, uh, yeah, I, I think it's just you feel it with your whole body, basically, don't you? Yeah, that this is the thing to do.
1: Yeah, and I, but also what I kind of like about it is that I, again another moment where I was like with my team I said I had I, we were pitching on something and um, I just felt it just felt so right. I did that classic thing. I came in and changed it, and it just felt right. I you know pre- presented, and it just it's like there's no other way that this project can be. It has to be like this mm. to the client, and you know that doesn't always happen. But it just felt like you know felt like there was a lot of um potential and it's just mm-hmm. it was like this is perfect. Mm-hmm. And we didn't win the project. Oh god. But I was like, that's cool. And everyone's like so devastated. And I was like, it doesn't matter. They're in mourning. But I was like, to be honest, I feel like we just we were we were able to work on the best part of the project. Well hang
0: on. Was it you did you jump in last minute and change it? Yeah. So they reckon it they would have won it if you hadn't have done that for that's what they're yeah. really thinking. Yeah. Damn it, we had it. <laughs> But there's something about that kind of previous investment, isn't it? Because it does take a lot of time and energy. And when you get fixated by an idea in the early times, in the beginning of a project, sometimes it's really hard to shift beyond that. Mm. And it might be for one person, right, and for somebody else, not right. And more importantly, for the client. If the client, um, they get presented what they get presented at the end of the day, we make our edit through the process. And, and that's interesting, kind of. Yeah. I guess the that that process as well is like, what do you show? What what is good? What is not good? What is, and and also what what are they seeing or what are they hearing when you talk about it or what you present? Yeah, are they actually seeing what you're saying? <laughs> they, or they are what you're showing? Are they seeing something completely different? You know, have they left an argument back home and and kind of their focus isn't on it? Are they are they, you know, are they kind of want you to replicate something that already exists? It's kind of um that's interesting too because it's, it's all about collaboration with your team but also with your client and customers etc
1: yeah and i I I was reflecting on it and the client the client relationships are challenging one and i think you know part of the way i've been learning about how we work and just observing how other creatives work and you know a lot of the previous pitches or projects we've done Um, And when you set the tone with the client, previously it was much more about here are some ideas and I go, here are 10 ideas. Mm -hmm. These ideas may or may not be right and this pitch is just one part of a process. Mm. But what you need to make your decision on, are we the right people to have a dialogue with to find the answer? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the focus previously is about just making sure the client understands that you know, we want to work in a way that's a dialogue and a collaborat- collaboration and, um, and, you know, it's about, uh, you know, that kind of shared t- kind of journey. Mm. Um, but more recently I'm going, well, and it's for me, running a business is always an experiment and trying different things mm-hmm. and, and going, well, okay, that's worked and maybe what if we go go into a presentation, guns blazing with one, one outcome and just feel and almost take away a level of that dialogue what does that mean for us like how does yeah, that yeah. how does that roll out and i guess it's kind of experimenting with that process of going a designer as a as a um or you know creative as a as a as a conduit mm-hmm. or a designer as a hammer
0: mm. yeah yeah right i um, totally get it and and i I've, I've experienced over time you probably have too that sometimes it works each one of those works, <laughs> yeah. and sometimes they don't. Like, yeah, sometimes. Well, you sent you give us ten options. We're totally confused. The other guys gave us one, and they cracked it. Yeah, you know, or or it's all about you got a great idea, but your fees are twice the price of everybody else. So we gave it to the other guys without even having a chat to you first, <laughs> or um, you're too big, or you got you know whatever. There's a whole bunch of weird yeah. scenarios. There never seems to be kind of one one kind of way that it that it works for me. Anyway. Yeah. So I, I think that the key thing is like showing you're keen, showing your process, uh, how you go about doing the timing, yeah. the team. Uh, Being I mean, we can all do it. Excited? Yeah, like yeah.
1: Optimistic about it?
0: Have you had that when people say, well, the other guys wanted it more than you did? <laughs>
1: what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs>
0: well, they begged. Uh, <laughs> they gave us flowers and they kept calling up. <laughs> uh, I, I, we've had that, you know. <laughs> You didn't seem to really want it. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> but um, let's just talk. So you've actually, funny enough, it seems like I was going to talk about sport, um, but you kind of created, indirectly created your own rugby team. So akin is like, how many yeah. people in a rugby team? Is it? 15? R- 15. Yeah, well, there it's you go. There's 15 right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, do you still play rugby?
1: I don't. No, I, I, um, I stopped playing when I was 13. That's not an England top, is it? No, this is, this oh. is a actually a lot of roses it's got a lot of roses
0: on it yeah
1: well like i wear this and everyone's like Oh are you are You in the flower industry like, oh. <laughs> so now this is my clients they in new york they've got this bar called the flower shop oh cool um and they named it that because the flower shop is like the local kind of meeting place mm. or institution mm. yeah i stopped playing when i was about 32 so i'm 42 now oh
0: did you get hurt too much
1: um uh, I think I just got a bit old, and I was, like, spending a of time with 18-year-olds. <laughs> like, yeah. And I had kids, and I was like, maybe I'd need to tap out before it.
0: Oh, it's um, a, it's a kind of dangerous. I mean, we live near Queen's Park, and every Saturday you hear a helicopter come and take somebody away.
1: Well, that actually happened. I was, um, like, I was like, a, I used to play, when I was younger, in a, in a particular sort of bigger comp, and then as I got older, I took a few years off, and I came back into a more suburban comp, mm. And you're sort of running around with a whole bunch of like, young kids and older, and it's like it's still quite competitive. Mm. Um, but yeah, there was a time when a guy probably at my age broke his neck, and the choppers came, and oh. you know, he was, became like a paraplegic at the age of like wow, you know, thirty. Poor, and I was like, whoa, poor guy. you know, something that goes from being like social fun thing where you hang out mm. with mates, and suddenly, you know, so yeah.
0: not good. How do you make it all work with your with your family? How many kids have you got? Two. Two?
1: Yeah. got a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. But
0: Have they discovered the Rotary Pen yet? <laughs> Are they creative?
1: They, I don't know. Every parent probably says their child is creative. Are they doing internships yet? Uh, <laughs> well, they spend a lot of time in the office. Oh, good. Yeah, That's they, good. They're, they're always in. Um, That's good for them to see that. Yeah. And, yeah, so they're... I guess they're surrounded by it. And they do, you know, they love drawing and they love, you know, making things. And, you know, that's it's probably the one thing that they'll, you know, I'm, they they won't go to bed because they're trying to make something. Oh. And I remember that as a kid. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's dinner time. And I'm like, I've got to finish. I was, you just had to finish that thing. And I see that in my kids and they're like, it's like 10 o'clock at the night. I'm like, oh my God, you got to go to sleep. But it's still kind of cute that he just wants to mm. find the sticky tape to to pin down yeah. the drawing and yeah, wow, that's cool.
0: Do do you feel like you've um, managed to design your life?
1: Yeah, I think indirectly. Like I feel like so stoked and so grateful that you know my my work, the people around me, my life. And you know, it's not through any sort of engineering. It's just like through um maybe intuition and just kind of gravitating back you know gravitating to the things that felt right and felt like this is the right thing at this time mm. um you know there's never been like a business plan there's never been a you know a plan for family or anything like that It just everything just kind of has fallen into place which has been yeah uh, yeah quite astounding actually mm. but
0: do you feel like you're? Did you have a vision to be where you are today and be doing what you're doing?
1: Not at all. No, no. I had.
0: You got anything beyond this, or just you just kind of be every day, just kind of making the most of it, or skiving off like you are now? Totally. It's like <laughs> everyone's <laughs> like, "Where are you going?" Like, uh, to a meeting. I'll yeah. Be, I'll be back. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back. Yeah, I'm gonna bring home the bacon. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: no, I've got a great team. Like they're very understanding. Um, I think if anything now, it's probably about finding a purpose outside of projects and the experience and be able to, um, you know, a lot of people in my situation have been running business for a while and it's going, what's next? Mm -hmm. What is that next part of what I feel passionate about? And there is a limitation with clients Mm -hmm. because when you're constantly providing a service, there's only so much you can do. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, for me, it's like harnessing everything that we've been able to create um, and then finding something that that you know maybe is a bit more meaningful than designing like you know as much as I love designing everything, but mm. is there a, uh, is there a, is is there something that's um, you know that I can feel re- feel really good about?
0: You mean the self-initiated projects?
1: Yeah, or stuff like for that. You social know, good or what? Yeah, both. Like you know, I'm really interested in um, um, wastage in construction. That's something that I've been really f- fascinated in Mm. because you know we do it all the time we're like okay let's order order this and add 10% here or 15% here of extra stuff Mm -hmm. Um, and even at the scale of projects we're at which are quite small that accumulates to a huge amount of wastage Mm. Um, and I just think about that across our whole whole industry I'm like man there's just so much stuff that gets thrown out Mm. there must be something that we can do with it Mm. Um, so yeah um, you know I'm just sort of talking to builders and just trying to understand supply chains and like what are the things that you know, how could you almost like, you know, could you create, you know, like a bunnings with but you know, by but sourcing all that materials. Oh from, what a great idea. You know, and then using that to add of like go, well, you know, everything you, know, and you just work with construction partners and that you take all that stuff away mm. and then you create like a you know, almost like a Vinnies for um Yeah. yeah.
0: When you look at all the, because we do a lot of corporate um, headquarters, I mean, and their headquarters are going kind to of, 6,000, 10,000 people would be in. And and every uh, 10 years, they seem to redesign them. And, and all that content just gets taken away. I don't know where it goes. Yeah. Um, but there's tons of, I mean, you'd hope that it's going to being reused or recycled, um, but it
1: probably isn't. Yeah. I it, mean, you know. Yeah. I think there's just an opportunity there with, you know, to do something that's just – like, there's obviously, like, salvage places and mm. things that, you know, have, have – have but I think that you could do something at a scale that feels much more um, – that can make a bigger kind of impact.
0: Yeah, I was talking to Bill Dowser from B- BVN yesterday, and he's come back from New York a little while ago. And he was saying that BVN in New York were actually – they saw a need of all the plywood that was putting up to kind of on the windows of shops and restaurants and everything in town. They had an idea of recycling that when it was all coming off, and they turned it into new uh, seats and partitions, and they kind of repurposed it all, which is really cool to see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, g- massive amount of waste yeah. uh, globally. Let's talk more about that another time. But um, um, what would you give your advice to your uh, you know twenty one year old you?
1: um sound
0: like you were like mature quite young weren't you
1: no i don't know i think i was always curious about things and that's a Um, good thing yeah so i think that that for me was like oh what's around that corner what's the next you know you know just diving into you know a a culture or whatever it might be
0: what about starting out in business
1: starting out business i
0: what would you do differently if at all
1: i don't know i feel like the whole naivety thing is a big thing because i feel if i knew what i knew and I, th- I see you know and it naturally happens like you have people in your team that go off and you know they work with you for like mm. you know, a long time and, and they go off and and they have they, you know they're coming going out there with so much more knowledge and so much more so like know so much more about starting a business than I did, but mm. is that a good thing or a bad thing? Like mm. if you're so risk adverse and all you're thinking about is all the things that could go wrong, mm. is that gonna hinder Yeah? I think the biggest thing benefited for me was I just I just shut down that part of my brain which was about risk adversity and was like, let's just do stuff that was, mm. you know, could go wrong, but let's make it happen. Mm. I remember to these projects where I was like, oh my God, I think my clients are going to die because he's hanging from this thing that I've put on the ceiling and he's having lots of fun, but I think he's going to actually kill himself. <laughs> oh, Jesus. You know, what, you know, but I was like, this is a sick idea. And the client was like, this is sick, you know. Mm. Um, so there's been definitely situations like that where I think felt like I've um, probably overstepped the mark in terms of designing stuff that's probably a little unsafe, but mm. with a cool outcome. Um, yeah. So I think risk-taking has been always a big part of, um, you know, a calculated risk, but I think, you know, just starting a business and working with clients and working with clients that, you know, maybe um, have been challenging that people said don't work with them because they're a nightmare. I'm like, well, maybe maybe you can get something out of that. Mm.
0: I guess it's doing what's right for you too, right? Like finding your way. Yeah. Not I mean doing the, what other people say.
1: I think the advice is for me, you know, I and mean definitely – um took a while for me to understand. It was, I think, it's a level of just feel c- comfortable in your own skin, and the just decisions you make. I think that's a big one, and and also I think you know I've had some m- amazing mentors, um and that's been a like luckily I w- like at the time wasn't like oh you know I want a mentor, but mm. I was just just re- I was really lucky to have people around me that I was able to ask questions and mm. continue. I mean, I know I've, I've asked you about questions. I've called you and said, hey, Vince, what do you think about this? Like, you know, And I think that's the best way to learn through other people and surrounding yourself with people that, are, that have that sort of um, generous outlook in life and say, this is, these are the mistakes I've made. And you still have to make a mistake, but you know, just giving you that guidance. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, That's
0: brilliant advice, Calvin. Um, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. It's been really great to catch up
1: with you. Pleasure, I really enjoyed it. So nice to chat about all the things. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening to
0: this episode of Design Your Life from Lego to Skyscrapers with Kelvin Ho. Tune in next week where I'll be catching up with Melissa Bright, Director of the Melbourne-based architectural practice studio Bright. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find out more about designing your life, head over to our website at designyourlife.com.au or on our social media, at Frost Collective. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.